This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Carlos Ghosn, Nissan chairman and one of the most powerful people in the global auto industry, was arrested in Japan on Monday for financial misconduct. A whistleblower told Nissan auditors that Ghosn underreported his compensation and was using company assets for personal use. One of the company's directors, Greg Kelly, also arrested on misconduct charges. Nissan confirming the allegations in a statement and recommended that both Ghosn and Kelly be removed from their positions. Ghosn oversaw the Nissan-Renault alliance to make it the world's largest auto company. Meanwhile, France's foreign minister now says that he should no longer remain at Renault as Nissan's investigation expands. With more on this, we are joined on the phone by John Paul McDuffie, management professor at the Wharton School and director of the program on vehicle and mobility innovation at Wharton's Mac Institute. Also with us, Richard Dasher, director of the U.S. Asia Technology Management Center at Stanford University. And also uh, joining us, Tim Hubbard, who's an assistant professor of management at the University of Notre Dame's Mendoza College of Business. And he's joining us via ISDN at the Rex and Alice A. Martin Media Center at the University of Notre Dame. John Paul, Richard, great to have you with us. Tim, thank you as well for your time today. Thank you so much. Thanks, Pam. Thank you all. John Paul, you just came back from Japan. What was your reaction when this news hit? Wow. I mean, I was uh, as surprised and shocked as anybody. I I woke up uh, Monday morning after a late night arrival from Japan to uh, an email from a colleague to say, you won't believe what just came in over my my email feed, my news feed. Um, Carlos Ghosn's getting arrested here in Japan. So, you know, I was scrambling around with uh, communication with folks in Japan about this yesterday. And um, then, of course, all the news stories. So, yeah, shocked and amazed, uh, count me in that category. And what has been the reaction from some of those people over there? You know, pretty much the same. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I, I know a fair amount about how the Renault-Nissan alliance now, including Mitsubishi, has, has evolved. I know, you know, some of the succession issues for Carlos Ghosn. I know some of the tensions in the alliance, but also many of its strengths. Um, none of that gave me any inkling of, uh, you know, this personal scandal of Gones. And I think, you know, the the news conference from Nissan's now CEO uh, was unusually personal and candid for a Japanese senior executive talking about his shock and sorrow and anger over this, uh, somebody who was a protege of Mr. Gones. Tim, what's been your reaction to this? Because this obviously, is, as John Paul mentioned, is catching a lot of people off guard. And here's somebody that was considered to be one of the, the foremost uh, CEOs and leaders of the auto industry over the last couple of decades, especially bringing Nissan back from where they were about, about uh, two decades ago. Absolutely. I think a lot of people have viewed him as one of the saviors of the auto industry. And so when news like this happens where it's a personal issue at a company, it's very disappointing. It's one of those situations where you hope if a CEO is going to lose their job or a chairman's going to lose their job, it's over a performance issue. It's not over something where they've chosen uh, to benefit personally from the firm in a way that is illegal to the point that the Japanese officials have arrested him. Richard, there there is part of this that also uh, goes to a, a degree the culture in Japan about the leadership that they like to have in companies. And uh, Mr. Gon is one of the rare instances of having somebody that is not Japanese leading a major company in that country. 
Right. He was uh, the kind of autocratic leader that you would find from somebody like Steve Jobs. And I think that Mr. Ghosn was uh, really not particularly liked, although he had to be respected. To me, this really looks a little bit like a setup job by the new leadership in Nissan. Uh, He stepped down from being CEO of Nissan last summer, and the new person, Japanese person named Saikawa, uh, was the person that uh, made these comments after Mr. Gon was arrested. And it really, um, to me, sounds like they got him on something. Executive compensation packages are very complicated. It wasn't that he was receiving cash money. Uh, It seems that this had to do with the company buying four luxury overseas uh, properties and providing them for the use of Mr. Gon. And uh, he did not uh, count what the company paid for these properties as part of his his own income, which they're required to state. Tim, I, I guess one question that a lot of people may be asking also is that when you're talking about the reporting of income, uh, especially for CEOs, that's or, or now a chairman, that's a pretty well-publicized thing in most cases. Uh, so I, I think some people are wondering whether or not there was also some mishandling of this information within Nissan uh, of, of this not coming out, uh, if there is an issue, coming out earlier. Yeah, I think this is one of those cases where we really expect uh, the board of directors and the public to know exactly what a chief executive officer is being paid. And when there's a discrepancy of this amount, and it doesn't matter how the compensation comes about, it's really that there wasn't this transparency. And when we stand back even further and we look at the issues between uh, how the French have perceived executive pay recently and how uh, they're trying to equal equalize that between regular workers and the same thing in Japan, I mean, he made more four times more than Toyota. Toyota CEO. And so he was already making a lot of money. And in this case, he was able to, to make more and in, in this case, kind of hide that back in, 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 the, uh, in the, the documents and, and keep it out of the public eye. John Paul was was a I mean with most company executives a high rate of of pay is expected but especially I would think for Gone and you can debate the the actual amounts but when you're talking about some of the things that he's done in terms of building up Nissan and, and trying to build up Mitsubishi as well uh, it's not surprising whatever the pay rate was that he was receiving a high rate of pay. Yes, and I'm sure that at earlier points in his career when the, uh, you know, the dramatic turnaround at Renault and then the rescue of Nissan and the success of this alliance after a series of just about every other tie-up among major automakers uh, going completely wrong, Daimler Chrysler being the worst of them, um, I'm sure that his uh, his requests, his demands for high pay were probably accepted pretty quickly. Uh, you know, he has been in power for a long time. I think there's the, there's the, you know, counter norm fact in both Japan and more recently in France of, uh, having unusually high executive comp compared to peers in the same, uh, you know, country, and industry context. So, you know, I mean, Toyota has been a very successful firm and, uh, but has always paid its chief executives, uh, quite modestly. 
And, you know, uh, outside analysts outside of Japan would say that not having higher powered uh, executive pay in Japan is a reason for executives maybe being risk averse and, uh, you know, not doing some of the things that might benefit shareholders. So, but I, I guess what we can see now is that uh, fights over pay have been going on for a while um, between Gone and the French government. Uh, presumably somewhat in Japan as well. And, you know, the, the figure of four times the Toyota CEO's pay, that's just for what Nissan paid him. So when you add in what Renault paid him and what now Mitsubishi pays him, um, it's the unusual governance arrangements where he is the single person at the apex of all three of those companies and therefore claiming CEO-level pay from all three of those companies that I think uh, perhaps pushed this, uh, you know, the, the tension over this issue to such a high level, you know, the tension would still be there uh, in the absence of the, the, the alleged abuse, personal abuse of those funds. Um, so that is clearly what has brought us to this moment. Um, I, I can see why people are wondering if it's a palace coup or if there's something that's uh, you know suspicious in in the timing of this. I guess we'll learn more as it uh, the full story comes out. But uh, Tim, um, go, go actually, ahead, Richard. If I can jump in on this, yes, his pay is rather high, but it's actually comparable to the pay of uh, Mary Barra at GM and Jim Hackett at Ford. Uh, the two of them are receiving total compensation in the you know high tens of millions of dollars every year too. Tim, your thoughts. I, I agree, but uh, it's it's an unusual situation because he has to balance the corporate governance requirements and the expectations of Japanese companies at the same time as French companies. And so while U.S. CEOs and, and other international CEOs are, are making the same amount or or more, and I... I agree that you know the Japanese pay compensation structures aren't necessarily ideal. In this case, you know they they don't receive enough performance-based pay, and that's been seen as an issue in a lot of the the companies that are working in Japan. Uh, but if if you're working in these international environments that are vastly different than the United States in terms of expectations of CEO pay, I think this becomes an issue that's particular to his case, and thus that's also you know unique and interesting to look at. So, John Paul, playing off of something you said a second ago, then, did Carlos Ghosn have too much control of all three companies? Well, so, um, you know, this was certainly part of the unusual feature of the news conference by the Nissan CEO, Mr. Saikama, um, that he was critical of how much power is um, centralized in one person in this alliance. And I suppose it gives me more the sense that the way that each of these arrangements has emerged, um, perhaps Mr. Gohan has had a strong role in shaping. Uh, you know, he's approaching uh, a, a retirement. As uh, Richard mentioned, he's already stepped down as the CEO of Nissan. He has had announced that by 2020 he expected to exit all of his roles in the alliance. Um, there's been some criticism of him not doing maybe enough succession planning. But, um, you know, they're, they're, I, I can't think of another situation like it um, in the world uh, to have one person be the CEO of three different auto companies, 
I'm sorry, he's the chairman of three different auto companies, and he's the CEO of two of them. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, this alliance from the start has had an unusual form of corporate governance, and some people think it's the reason for its success. It, it was not a merger or an acquisition. It's an alliance of two firms that at least uh, the, the rhetoric has been are equal parties to all decisions. There are some big differences in the cross-stock holdings, uh, and that gives the Renault and, uh, I guess, indirectly, then the French government as a stockholder in Renault, a disproportionate influence into Nissan versus the, uh, the opposite. And so that has been structurally true from the beginning, and I think some tensions around that have, have grown. Um, but, yeah, I think from many points of view, if, if, if he hadn't emerged as such a hero, uh, from the early stages of this turnaround, uh, many people would have said it's it's a little risky to concentrate that much power in one person. Tim, your thoughts? I think it's one of those situations where the where Ghosn might be the glue that's holding it together and what's making it work. In this case, each of the companies, like was said, are run independently and they share models and technology between them. But overall. The coordination that's happening between those three companies uh, might actually, the reason the success be there is that there is a, a powerful leader that's able to take charge in each of the three. And so it might be that without him in there, there might be issues with the alliance going forward. Richard, your thoughts? Well, I think that this is catching a wave of kind of reaction against high executive pay, both in Japan and in France. Uh, Gon had to uh, agree to reduce his salary by 30% near the beginning of this year in order to stay on as the head of Renault. And if you look in Japan, the uh, highest paid executives are uh, in Japan are disproportionately foreigners. Um, so it's not only you know compared comparing Mr. Gon to the CEO of Toyota. Toyota itself has an executive vice president who's earning three times as much as the the head of Toyota, um, and this executive vice president is foreign. So I think that you're seeing this is kind of, you know, the time it is good to sort of say that these foreigners are coming in and taking too much money for what they're doing. But I certainly agree that... Um, gone had a claim to uh, high compensation for turning the company around. But again, that that seems to be, Richard, a little bit of, of the culture of what Japanese companies and Japanese automakers believe should be one thing in comparison to what may be the case in other parts of the world. Yes, uh, and uh, John Paul was right. Uh, there has been some criticism that executive pay in Japan was too low and was not encouraging um, executives to uh, really uh, perform well. The performance bonus part of a compensation package is much lower in Japan than it is in other places. John Paul, there's an interesting also side to this because I was speaking with uh, one of my cohorts in the office this morning and they said, you know, it's interesting, this just kind of adds another layer to the issues surrounding the auto industry. I mean, you see VW and General Motors and, and, and all these different companies that have had issues. This obviously is a little bit different than some of the technical issues, but is there something within the auto industry itself? Well, I mean, it's, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a stressful 
time. It's an exciting time, but it's a, certainly a stressful time for the traditional auto industry with all of these changes uh, from electric vehicles to autonomous vehicles and mobility as a service and many new competitors coming from Silicon Valley and from the tech world. And these firms are scrambling to figure out how best to deal with all of those new developments while trying to run the traditional business. So there's all kinds of, you know, acquisitions of startups, alliances with tech companies, alliances with other automakers to try to be strong in the face of challenges from uh, from the tech companies. So I imagine it's a somewhat you know, bewildering time, and the way the stock market reacts to what any one company is doing is a little hard to predict. I mean, for a long period uh, around the global financial crisis, Ford was everyone's favorite for not having taken any bailout money. But very recently, GM is gets far more positive praise for its steps in response to these new developments than Ford that has you know, uh, been roundly criticized for what it's doing. There are certainly differences in what they're doing, but uh, it doesn't always seem to map directly onto how different the valuations are. So, you know, Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi, that alliance is facing those things too. You know, frankly, I think they've been doing fairly well. Nissan is seen as a leader in uh, both autonomous vehicles and electric vehicles in Japan and also in the world. Renault has been a leader in electric vehicles, and they've uh, had success with engineering some extremely frugal designs for uh, Eastern Europe, for India, now working on that for China. They had success in India with a product that, where the, the Tata Nano, for example, didn't. So, I mean, there's a lot of achievements of this alliance, and I think by now, probably a lot of people within that alliance believe that they have made that happen, and they don't attribute a lot of the current uh, strengths to just to Mr. Ghosn. There yeah. may be some way in which the savior role, which he, I think, correctly was given uh, after the early stages, has continued You know, now for almost 20 years, and people around him are saying, well, yeah, but now we're doing it, and he's off doing these corporate governance arrangements, which keep him as the one guy in power. Yeah. I don't know the from the inside. Is he holding it together or is in some ways he creating problems for some of the coordination between these firms? Tim? I, th- I think this is one of those cases where we're seeing both an issue in the auto industry, but also I think more importantly, we're seeing an issue with power of chief executive officers in relation to their boards of directors. I think this is a case where we've seen the power in each one of those individual companies being concentrated in one person. And this is an example where we can look at and we can point and say, there's too much power in this case. The board of directors uh, of each of those companies is embedded uh, with him. And uh, over the 20 years that he's been involved in all three of these companies, uh, Mitsubishi Motors a little bit less, but in that amount of time, he's been able to solidify his power in relation to other directors. And I think that's been able to remove some of the monitoring capabilities that we would expect from a board of directors, which has ultimately led to the arrest of the chief executive officer. I mean, yeah. oversight of, from the board of directors is there to prevent so, these types of things from happening. Is there, Richard, an impact that, that Nissan will feel 
from this. Obviously, you were talking about uh, somebody that had moved into the chairman's role, wasn't the active CEO anymore. So they, they had made that move. But is there an impact on Nissan? I'm a little concerned that what we're seeing is old-style Japanese consensus management trying to replace um, or get rid of the the foreign autocratic style of management. Um, What Tim mentioned uh, is exactly what Mr. Saikawa said in his press conference, that too much power was concentrated in one person. And this makes me uh, suspect that you've got a group of directors and other senior executives who kind of would like to go back to the way things were in Japan. Then, then is there, do you think there is validity behind these charges that he did have the, these, uh, these inappropriate financial arrangements? Or is this you know, part and parcel to, to that management style wanting to make that change, do you think? I suspect that it was a gray area. Uh, in regard to income taxes, you have to file one way in Japan if you're a board director. Uh, the company cannot provide more than 50% of the cost of your housing. Uh, but what I'm guessing is that he had a, a financial advisor that said he could get away with this, and now it's coming out that maybe he couldn't. What do you expect to, to, to occur out of this, Tim? I, I mean, it, will there be an impact on, on Nissan? Uh, will there be an impact? Uh, we, we need to wait and see on whether there'll be an impact on Renault and see how that plays out over there. I think it, it really depends on how much power he actually had within the companies. In, in my perception, even though he's been the chair, he's been quite involved, even, even though he's been you know, involved in all three of these. And so what we're going to see coming out in the next few quarters is, are there changes, substantive changes in how the companies are being run? And if it turns out that he was in a powerful position within the company and still effective, then I think we'll see an issue. Um, I think that might be the case, given that the stock prices went down. If this was a traditional dismissal where there were issues with the, the, the chief executive officer and removing them from the company was a good thing, that the new management coming in would be able to produce more value, I think we would have seen uh, stock prices. I, I mean, it's an arrest, so I think the, the the downside of the stock price made sense. But at the same time, if the change in management was going to be beneficial for each mm. of the firms, we might not have seen as strong of a downward trend. John Paul. Yeah, I mean, I think my sense from people who've observed him um, fairly closely in in Japan and France is that. He was always a very uh, engaged executive who did a lot of getting out into the operations and, um, you know, very visible and very knowledgeable about what was going on. He, he also early on, you know, got a lot of leadership praise for reaching down into the organization, finding uh, younger executives that he thought had new ideas and had perhaps not had enough opportunity while they were, you know, kind of trapped in the corporate hierarchy, elevating them, giving them a lot of autonomy. Those people have been doing, you know, a lot of the running of this alliance um, ever since. It's an alliance where the English English is the operating language, which is nobody's first language. Um, it's become uh, they've, they've very combined their purchasing uh, very effectively. They've uh, figured out the complexities of joint product development quite successfully. There's a lot of strengths that have been built, and I think he has been more distant from 
these operational strengths um, over time for maybe good reasons and maybe also sometimes for for not so good reasons. So, you know, I, I think the alliance probably has a lot of uh, strengths and reasons to continue through this crisis. Right. The thing I don't know is how much the scandal and the conflict at the at the board level and between, you know, the French government, Renault's board, um, Nissan's board, some tension over a proposal that there be a full merger uh, in which the Renault dominant ownership stake would, you know, sort of give them a more permanent kind of power very strongly resisted in, in Nissan. So the corporate governance complexities here uh, could destabilize the alliance, which would be a shame because there's a lot of strengths there. Great having you all with us. Thank you, John Paul. Richard, thank you as well. Tim, thank you for your time today. Thanks. Thank you very much. Thank you all. John Paul McDuffie from here at the Warden School, Richard Dasher at Stanford University, and Tim Hubbard at the University of Notre Dame. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.